0: Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Kansas City Actors Radio Theater. I'm Bree Woods, and I'll be your lovely host this week as we present to you the third episode of a five-part original series, Cash for Carnage, written by local playwright Khalif J. Gillette. Without further ado, I proudly present to you Cash for Carnage, Episode 3, Friends and Ethics.
1: Detective Jennifer Nguyen, July 1999. It took me a long while to build evidence against Esperanza Nogueda in order to reopen this case. The people at my precinct worshiped my old mentor, Jackson Vega, and the ground he walked on. So when he called to close on the case back in 1993, they thought there was no chance of it reopening. In fact, they made sure the case wouldn't reopen. All of the files were locked away and misplaced all throughout our system. It was almost as if the case just disappeared. But I don't give up that easy. I uncovered all of the files, tapes, and confessions. The following tape is from 1993. It is of Dr. Augustus Joyner and his attorney, Noreen Alcorn, in question with Detective Jackson Vega. The following tape is from
2: 1993. This is Detective Jackson Vega in question with suspect. Augustus Jr. Joiner? That's what I said.
3: That is not what you said.
2: <sighs> all, all right, Augustus. You've got your attorney present. Uh, where did Esperanza put the bodies? I told you I don't know. But you've said in previous questioning that she removed the organs and sold them. And now you don't know?
4: Well, yes, I did say... Um...
3: Take your time, Augustus.
4: <sighs> yes. That's what she did to the bodies, but I don't know where she put the missing
2: ones. So, you're her right-hand man, helping her run that place, but you have no idea where she put eight cadavers?
4: Esperanza lets no one, not even me, get involved in her private affairs.
2: And what exactly are your responsibilities at that school, Augustus?
4: I communicate with the morgue. Once a family donates the cadaver and the students have gotten their full dissection use of the specimen...
2: People. Those are people.
4: Once they are no longer of use to us... I send them back to the morgue to be cremated and returned to the family.
2: So you pay for the family's memorial services?
4: Yes. Do you think some of the families donate purely due to that benefit? Some people want the bodies of their deceased loved ones to go to a greater purpose. Education. Science.
2: But never due to the lack of finances.
4: I believe it helps.
2: That's sort of preying on the poor, isn't it? If only way I could afford to lay my loved one to rest was to let some 20-somethings cut them up first. I would feel almost obligated.
4: They have a choice.
2: Sure they do.
3: Please don't berate my client.
4: It's all right, Noreen. Please continue.
2: (laughs) So she chops these people up, sells them to what? Make-up companies, disposes of the mutilated cadavers, and make a small fortune right under your nose?
4: Esperanza only made about $10,000. I would hardly call that a small fortune.
2: Who told you it was $10,000? I saw a bank record. Interesting. Did there happen to be some (laughs) blood spattered on that bank record, covering a few zeros?
4: I don't understand.
2: In the span of six months, Esperanza made almost $1 million off those cadavers.
3: $1 million?
2: That's impossible. Is it? You expect me to believe you're working right beside her and keeping track of those bodies, and you're not even getting a fair cut of the money? So you're either lying to me or you're as idiotic as I suspected.
3: Let's not resort to name-calling, detective. I think what you should be asking about is the negligent behavior Miss Nogueda has been exhibiting towards my client.
2: Oh, is that what I should be asking?
3: If you knew how to do your job, it would be. Oh, give me a break. My client is the victim here. Esperanza is the head of that program, and she has been, frankly, less than fit to run the place since her grandfather's passing. Noreen. Dr. Joyner has been picking up her slack for a while now. She's in and out of manic episodes and paying Dr. Joyner at a leisurely rate. It's no surprise she let a few of these corpses slip through the cracks.
2: I'm sorry, are you his attorney or his voice box? Excuse me? I believe he could have said all that himself.
3: I'm his lawyer,
2: not his mother.
4: Look, I don't want to just throw Esperanza to the wolves. She is a brilliant woman. She trained me and gave me opportunities I could never have dreamed of in the medical field. The type of leg up she gave me is unheard of. She made mistakes, yes, and she has been a bit distracted, I'll admit, but she's just looking for a way out of a dark hole she's been at the bottom of for a long while now.
2: Would you be willing to testify against Esperanza in a court of law? I... uh, I...
3: Of course he would.
1: The tape ends shortly after. Augustus did testify. They all made Esperanza out to be a madwoman, which actually worked in her favor because she pleaded insanity on account of grief after her grandfather's passing. That, and with the help of some mystery lawyers who showed up at her doorstep in the middle of the night got her off scot-free. And the million dollars was never recovered. Now, back to the current case. It was now March of 1999, about five months since Augustus had been working with Esperanza again. She was keeping he and Monty well-paid, and they were spending, oh, they were spending. New lab equipment, new clothes, fine dining. Monty was still working as a lab assistant to cover for all the dough he was raking in, all the while trying not to drown in school. He was barely keeping up, but always found a little recharge of passion from Dr. Joyner's soapbox lectures.
4: Class, class, these cadavers that lie on our tables, we owe them a great amount of respect. They're not merely specimens, but the people in all of our lives. We must respect the dead. How we treat them dictates how we treat every patient that will be before us. What we do, class, is nothing short of a miracle. You all are training to be miracle workers. Never take that for granted. That position is one only a few people ever make it to. So, what does that mean? Anyone? Monty?
5: It means we had better make the cut.
4: Make it good. Anyone else? Twee.
6: It means we have a duty to life to honor it and care for it.
4: Very good, Twee. And with that, class is dismissed. Place your tools in the sanitation buckets, and I will see you next time.
6: Hey, Monty?
4: Hey,
2: Twee.
1: You got a minute? Subject: Twee. Last name:
2: redacted.
1: Vietnamese female mid-20s. An intelligent classmate who caught Monty's eye. The two had gone on a few dates, a dinner here, a movie there, but nothing serious. She's new to California and frequents Little Saigon down in Orange County. She was key to my investigation.
6: You got a minute?
5: Yeah, what's up? We still on for this weekend?
6: Yes, we're still on. I've got super soakers and charcoal.
4: I'll bring the food.
6: Perfect. Anyway, so I came here the other night and...
4: Monty! Monty! I'm having lunch with a colleague. Please clean the lab and have these boxes in the storage room unpack before I return.
6: More new lab equipment?
4: Yes, we, we are stepping into the new millennium. Gotta be ahead of the curve. I gotta run. Have a nice day, you two.
6: You too, Dr. Joyner. More lab equipment?
5: Yeah, uh, Dr. Joyner got a grant. Really? What for? A new procedure. He figured out a new incision and how to loop a... Scoop or something? I honestly couldn't tell you. He explains it a lot better.
6: (laughs) Oh, wow. Sounds very medical. (laughs) It also sounds like you shouldn't be turning me down for as many study dates as you do.
5: I study plenty hard, but between work and class, I, I don't have much time for anything else or anyone else.
6: I still don't understand how you're managing to hold down this job and go to school here. I'm amazing, that's how.
5: Okay, Mr. Showboat. It's not too bad, though. Dr. Joyner is still pretty chill about when I need extra time to study or anything else.
6: The two of you are really close, I see.
5: Yeah, I guess so. What did you want to talk to me about?
6: Oh, I, um... When I came to meet you here the other night, I was walking from the back of the building by the loading dock, and I saw Dr. Joyner and some woman tossing something that I assume was a cadaver into the back of a car.
5: Why would you assume it was a cadaver?
6: Monty, we work with these things. I know what I saw. I think...
5: You really shouldn't assume, Twee. Stuff like that gets people in trouble and careers get lost over gossip.
6: It's not gossip. They were putting a cadaver taped up in, like, trash bags or something in the back of a car.
5: Cadavers come here all the time. What do you think, they just magically show up in the refrigerator?
6: No, but I've seen them get delivered... They come in a big blue truck that says
2: Redacted.
6: Across the side, and someone signs for them, and then that same truck with
2: Redacted.
6: On the side, comes and gets them after we've used them, and takes them to the morgue.
5: So what do you want me to do about it? Call the morgue or something?
6: Well, seeing as how you literally live here and work very closely with Dr. Joyner, I would hope that you would be more vigilant about someone mistreating these people.
5: They're not people. They're just... No one is mistreating anything, Twee. I-, I just think you're mistaken, and you can't go saying this stuff to anyone else, all right?
6: You realize when the families donate to this program, they expect the ashes of their loved ones back, right?
5: Just leave it alone.
6: So what if that cadaver didn't make it back to their family and- Tui,
5: I trust Dr. Joyner, and I need you to trust me when I tell you there's nothing to worry about. No woman, no car, no rogue cadaver. I'm sure what you saw was just a misunderstanding.
6: But Monty...
5: Please, go. I need to clean this place
6: up. (sighs) I'll see you later, Monty. I guess.
5: Bye.
1: Monty was in a weird place. He's not a liar. He's not a bad person. He has morals, but... Money and a way out of a very dark hole tends to diminish character, and he was not himself. He was spending more and more time alone in that lab, becoming paranoid and obsessive. He could really use a friend right now. Augustus, for the first time in a long time, had a friend once again, someone he could let loose with.
4: This pool stick is cheating.
7: Don't blame it for your lack of coordination. (laughs)
4: I am a surgeon and this stick is
7: defective. Bartender, get my friend something a little weaker. his game is off.
4: I'm in the lead.
7: Not for very long. That ball was hanging in the pocket, Augie. Let me show you how a pro does it.
4: Never thought I'd be back here with Esperanza Nagueda the pool shark.
7: Shout from the rooftops, why don't you? People don't need to know my real name. I'm trying to keep a low profile.
4: What do you suggest I call you then? Bob? How about Espy?
7: <laughs> Call me Espy and I'll shove a pool stick right up your... Oh, two Two in one! Bob is in her element! Are
4: we here to celebrate me? Why are you getting all the glory?
7: I have to keep you humble. It's not every day your protege creates a new procedure.
4: Mm, it's
7: nothing. <laughs> You're so ridiculous. It's always nothing with you, Augie. When will you learn that the things we do and the people we affect matter? What you've accomplished matters, okay?
4: <laughs> okay, Bob. So, do you miss it?
7: Beating you in billiards? Yes, it feels good to beat you again.
4: I mean this, your life here in LA, the, uh, the uh, school, your position, all that.
3: What do you think, Augie?
4: Hmm. Might be the beer talking, but I'm, uh... I'm
7: really, uh... Speed it out? What is it? Don't
4: make me say it.
7: You haven't said anything at all.
4: I admire you, Esp. Bob. I admire you. You've been dealt one hell of a hand, and you somehow managed to survive it and stay true to yourself.
7: Mm, my crazy self. Or my mad self is what you told the judge, I believe.
4: <laughs> hey, we both got really lucky. Things could have been much worse for the both of us.
7: Yet things only got better for one of us. Your lawyer, Noreen, was just better than mine, I guess.
4: Hey, but your entire posse of lawyers didn't go down without a fight.
7: Well, I suppose.
4: Why did you come back? You're off traveling the world making a fortune. Why did you come back here after all these years?
7: Mm, a little birdie told me it was time to come home, and I could sense that you needed me.
4: <laughs> okay. Do you want another beer?
7: No, 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 no. I'm. <clears throat> I think this is my last one. Here's to you, Doctor Augustus Joyner. Cheers. Oh, that's me.
4: Uh, you can take your call. I'll go close this out.
7: Be right back. Hello? Yes, this is she who's calling. Uh-huh. What do you want? Tonight. Well, we are having a conversation right now, are we not? Fine. I will see you soon. Of course. I will come along. He's drunk out of his mind right now.
4: Everything okay?
7: Perfect. I'm going to go. You can sleep this booze off in the back of the cab, okay? Good beating you, Augie.
4: Good getting to spend time with you as well.
1: (laughs) Friendship requires a level of vulnerability that I frankly do not have the patience for. But it's good to know that type of vulnerability can be found at the bottom of a bottle. Friends are necessary from what I'm told, and good friendships are hard to come by. They can be found in the most unlikely people.
8: (gasps) Monty? Whoa. You okay? Damn, Joe. You scared me. You're acting real jumpy. You are working this late at night? What's going on? Nothing. Do you mind turning off your radio? I just want to be in the silence. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, School making you crack already? Or maybe it's living in this rusty dungeon filled with dead bodies. Nah, it's just stress, I think. But this your dream, ain't it? Don't make
5: it less stressful. True. Yeah. Uh,
8: anything you want to talk about?
5: Nah. Uh, actually, can I ask you something?
8: Uh, that was already something, but yeah, you sure you can ask me? You can ask me two things.
5: <laughs> you ever did something unforgivable that made you question if you were a good person?
8: Yes, but which time you want me to tell you about? Ain't nothing unforgivable, Monty, as long as you intend to change and do better. But what if it's too late? You're living and breathing, so I can guarantee you it ain't too late. Yeah, but say you did something that was, like, really bad, where you had... Hey, hey, I don't need or want to know the details, but in these past few months, I've walked on in here and chopped it up with you. I can tell that you have something good inside you, Monty. And I know you're smart enough to decide for yourself what needs to change. I've said my piece. Now, let me mop this flow.
5: All right, then. Thanks, Joe. Uh,
8: uh, Do you mind if I play my radio, Your Highness?
5: (laughs) Go for it, Joe.
1: I like Joe. He's a good guy. It's good to know that there's someone like him watching your back. He's the silent angel that roams these halls late at night and well into the morning to make sure this rusty dungeon sparkles. It's usually just him, and he'll take a nap or break in the back storage before anyone arrives in the morning.
3: Why am I here this late at night, Noreen, and not being paid? I'm sure you're being paid well enough for your dirty work that you can volunteer a few minutes of your time.
8: What? Who the hell is interrupting
3: my nap?
7: I forgot to congratulate you on making the front page of the newspaper a while back. You are on fire right
3: now. I didn't ask to meet with you for you to be cruel to my face. But that is my party trick. Why else would you need me to meet at this hour? Not to have a knife fight with you, Esperanza. So there's no need for that scalpel in your hand?
7: I'd feel better if I kept it on me.
3: And I'd feel better if you didn't.
7: Well, it's settled. I'll keep holding it and you keep talking. What do you want?
3: There's been word that an anonymous tip has been given to a tabloid that a severed arm was found in a dumpster behind this facility. Oh, no. (gasps) A tabloid. Oh, I am so scared. I'm not joking with you. You're lucky no one but my assistant reads that tabloid garbage, and I had her buy them up and dispose of them. You've been busy. And you've been rather quiet up until this point, so I figured I'd mind my business. That's it first. I have friends, Esperanza. I am aware. Friends in high places who, with one phone call, will shut your entire operation down.
7: Oh, drop the Joyce Davenport routine. You're not very intimidating,
3: Noreen. I mean it. I thought he'd kicked you to the curb by now, but Augustus is too afraid of you to be blunt. Luckily, I'm not. You're a fool for coming back here, Esperanza. Esperanza. You had to have known you'd eventually get caught if you just go around selling cadavers and ruining lives for sport. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're taking advantage of him. I gave Augie his fair pay. Oh, like the million dollars you split with him last time? How much are you up to now, huh? Hey,
7: stay out of my Louis Vuitton bag and I will stay out of that nameless satchel you throwed around. Augustus is helping me just as much as I am helping him.
3: And that young man, Monty? I know what you're up to. That watch on his wrist? Augustus isn't paying a lab assistant that well. Leave them alone, Esperanza. Please. (laughs) Oh!
7: (laughs) He really has you mesmerized, doesn't he? Augie is a handsome man. I admit, but not stepping into the lion's den handsome.
3: I'm merely trying to protect him because I believe in him. I do good things for good people. Like getting people out of trouble, no? Precisely.
7: I know it was you, Noreen, the one who sent the team of lawyers to my door in the middle of the night during Vega's old investigation. You got me and Augustus to walk free.
3: I did not. Why'd you do it? I didn't.
7: Do you really want to lie to someone holding a scalpel?
3: Is that a threat? (laughs) Of course not. I'm
7: only kidding. But I really do want to know why. I know it is not because you yearn for me like you do Augustus, so why is it? Why'd you help me? Hmm.
3: I could lie to you and say it's because I couldn't stand by and let that woman-hater, Jackson Vega, get his way. There are already too few stilettos in charge, and I couldn't let your stupidity and sloppiness diminish those numbers. Oh? Or perhaps I did it because I knew you weren't a mad woman. You were just uh, enraptured in grief. So which is it? Neither, because I didn't do it. But just so we're clear, if I did, I would never do it again. Once is a favor, and twice is an arrangement. And you're not worth the liability. Goodbye, Esperanza. Goodbye,
7: Counselor. Hello? It's me. I feel like I've overstayed my welcome here. Necesito ponerme en mancho pronto, pero necesito tener un lugar esperándome en la segunda ubicación. I think L.A. has run its course again, and I want to meet the big boss. I'll call you back. Hello? Hello?
8: Uh, it's just the janitor cleaning.
7: Oh, Mr. Janitor. So good to see you again. Would you mind coming out here for a second? I would like to talk to you. Uh,
8: listen, I ain't hear nothing, and it's none of my business.
7: Oh, I know. I know, Mr. Janitor. It's Joe. Mr. Joe.
8: Why, why are you holding that scalpel like that?
7: You are one of Monty's friends,
8: correct? You can say that. That young man is bright and good. And he has so much ahead of him if he can stay out of trouble. He don't need to be wrapped up in no nonsense.
7: Oh, I agree, Mr. Joe. I care deeply about Monty as well.
8: Well, well that's good. I I think I should just go on and get out of your hair now.
7: Oh, one more thing. You missed a spot on the floor beneath your feet.
8: <coughs>
7: oh. <coughs>
1: Gordo. Subject had a slash across his throat, made in a perfect cut across the jugular. Damn. Joe was a good guy, a nobody to Minnie, but someone to Monty. Esperanza saw him as a threat to her work. Joe was good at his job, but she was better at hers. She knew how to make that cut look like a surgeon, easy and with little error. She also knew how to make it look like an accident. She knew how to make Joe look like any of the other cadavers in that building. He was embalmed and stuffed away in the cadaver fridge for a few days. Then, one day when Monty came into the lab ready for work, there was a note.
5: Dr. Joyner? Esperanza? Anybody here? What the hell? Oh, so we just leaving cadavers out on tables now? Oh, and you come with a note, Mr. Cadaver. Prep this cadaver, put this stuff on ice, and yada, 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 Dr. Joyner.
1: Monty was skeptical. Dr. Joyner never left a note like this before. He figured that the doc must really be in a bind for him not to have done this himself. Monty's never cut one on his own, but he decided to be brave and follow orders. The cadaver was dissected, harvested, and just as he was about to make the final stitch to close it up, Dr. Joyner burst into the lab.
4: Monte, Monte, What the hell do you think you're doing?
5: Did I mess it up? Look, it may not be perfect, but that's what you get when you leave a new student to work on his own.
4: Well, I did tell you to do that. We don't even have any new cadavers. But your note... What note? Let me see that. Monty, this is not my handwriting. Who? Whose body is this? Wait, Monty, remove his face covering.
5: You said to never to...
4: Just do it.
1: Monty followed orders.
8: Is that... Joe?
1: Joe? 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 Joe! Joe was a good guy. A friend to Monty. I personally don't do friends. Friends can be mean. Friends can lie. Friends could stab you in the back or even cut your heart right out of your chest.
0: Featured in this week's episode were Donovan Woods as Monty Dubois, Nedra Dixon as Noreen Alcorn, Walter Coppage as Dr. Augustus Joyner, Vanessa Severo as Esperanza Nogueta, Justin McCoy as Joe and Jackson Vega, Betty Lashackelford as Twee, and Ivy Bowie as Detective Jennifer Nguyen. The series is written by Khalif J. Gillette. Lauren Cooper is our sound designer, and I am Bree Woods, your host and director. Kansas City Actors Radio Theater is made possible with support from listeners like you. For information about supporting Kansas City Actors Radio Theater, visit kcactors.org/donate. Our program sponsors are the Estelle S. and Robert A. Long Ellis Foundation, Arts KC, the Missouri Arts Council, the National Endowment for the Arts, Theater League, and the Thal Snyder Foundation. And a special thanks to Mark and Valerie Andrus. We'll catch you next week at noon right here on KKFI 90.1 FM and wherever podcasts are consumed. As always, thanks for listening. And until next time... Stay healthy and stay tuned.